Welcome to the Intentionist Podcast, where we explore the interplay between intuition, spiritual health, and everything in between. I'm your host, Hilary Zwallen. And I'm Amy Schreiber. Our intention is to create a dialogue that inspires you to consciously forge your path with curiosity and compassion for life and its mysteries. This week, we are happy to welcome back Danielle Bryan, who is a master practitioner of shamanic energy medicine and has practiced for over 17 years. In this episode, Hillary interviews Danielle about shamanism, specifically the Incan lineage that she practices and the perceptual states and their animal symbols as taught by this medicine tradition. They also dive into topics like cultural appropriation and how Danielle found herself on this path, from early manifestations of her intuitive abilities as a kid to more dramatic psychic events that occurred a little later while she was opening up. So you want to listen all the way to the end for her very interesting personal experiences that led her into this practice. And this is just the first of a two-part discussion, so tune in next week for further riveting conversation on the medicine wheel. And Danielle is a master at bringing the energetic realm into relatable practice that's useful in everyday life. She's really, really excellent at explaining these sometimes abstract concepts. So I think you'll find this episode really helpful and enjoyable. And to learn more about Danielle, you can visit her website, daniellebryan.com. Danielle is spelled with two N's. Enjoy. Hi, Danielle. Thank you so much for joining with me today. We're going to talk about shamanism. So I wanted to uh, just start off with what is, is having you explain what is the specific lineage you practice and what is a shamanic lineage. Right. Shamanism. Um, the lineage that I practice is rooted in the Incan traditions of South America and Peru. So I am a practicing shaman that walks that path and has been initiated into the lineage of the Incan traditions. So can you explain what a lineage would mean in, in terms of sh- sh- shamanism? And is it something that is, do you know, and like worldwide, mm-hmm. if that's the case, yeah. if there's lineage, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so yes, I practice the traditional practices of the shamanic path that I walk are rooted in the lineage of the Incan traditions. And what does that mean, a lineage? It means coming into a body of wisdom and knowledge that has been passed down through the ages. And I love the terminology of a living tradition because the living tradition of this work means that it evolves with the evolution of our times. It evolves with the evolution of humanity. It's not static, right? It doesn't say these are the practices and principles and this is how it is for all eternity ever, ever more, right? It it allows itself to grow and evolve and breathe and to be relative and relevant for the times that we're living in. So although within this tradition and this lineage that I am a part of, that I walk, I 
come in, I have come into it through initiation ceremonies, through the receiving of rites, we call it. And those rites are energetic transmissions that have been passed down from person to person to person for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, really. The Incan traditions in the path that I walk are said to be more than 5,000 years old. So as we come into this lineage and receive these energetic rites of transmissions, we enter into a web of wisdom and knowledge that it becomes accessible to us. So the reason that we are initiated into a lineage through these energetic transmissions and rites is that this body of knowledge, this pure essence of wisdom comes in and as a quanta of energy, and it comes into our field, it comes into our energy field and into our multidimensional self, our physical, our mental, emotional, our spirit body, our energetic matrix. So this quanta of energy comes in and it holds this wisdom that has been passed down through the ages that exists outside of time and space. And it, it begins to inform us. It begins to grow our energetic container or conduit, if you will, and allows us to access this consciousness and this wisdom. And so being part of a lineage or a tradition holds us in a body of knowledge that gives us access to these wisdom teachings. And there are many lineages and there are many different shamanic traditions. You know, the tradition that I practice rooted in the Incan practices of South America is one. There is North American shamanism. And each tribe of the North American indigenous peoples has their own version of what they practice as their lineage and what their wisdom teachings are and what their medicine path is. So, so question then, yeah. and let's talk about the elephant in the room, right? Yeah. So cultural appropriation. So there's, so you and I are two Caucasian women who have both really benefited from this path. I mean, for me, for sure, spiritually, it's been such a, a helpful, enlightening process to learn mm -hmm. this, this lineage. And, and I've been learning it from you. And so I, but I've been thinking a lot yeah. about cultural equity and, and, and I guess, you know, part of this goes back to perceptual stage, which we'll get into where I think, you know, so what what are your thoughts on Caucasian Westerners practicing these native North and South American shamanic mm -hmm. rites and rituals? And how, how do we do yeah. this with sensitivity and respect? And yeah. because on the one yeah. hand, right, we're human, we're all human. And so there's at the at the core of it, we're all the same. But there's also these layers and there's these layers where there's been ex extreme injustice yeah. and colonialization against people indigenous people. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. anyway, so can you and, speak and there to are that? A lot of, um, 
shamanic practices across the planet, Hillary. So, you know, we've just named North American, South American, but there's the Inuits, right? There's the traditions up in Alaska. There's Celtic shamanism. There's African shamanism. There is Mongolian shamanism. There's, I mean, the term actually comes out of Siberia. It's a Siberian term, right? So shaman, shamanism Mm. is a term talking about the one who can bridge the gap between the spirit world and our waking world, if you will, the one who can see into the invisible realms, the one who can have an effect on the spiritual nature of things and to bring light to those realms that are hard to see into. Okay, so it's not just referring to an indigenous culture. However, it has been preserved there. So there was a lot of shamanism happening in Europe back in the pagan days. You know, a lot of white people, if you will, or Caucasians who practiced this. And so what happened, though, with the uprise of the patriarchal religions, okay, that came in and squelched the medicine traditions, the pagan traditions, the earth traditions, it went underground, it got lost. But these indigenous tribal cultures Mm. that were later to be recognized and later to be founded and later to be squelched as well, you know, we're still in practice for a long time. So it's become associated and synonymous with indigenous tribal cultures. And it always has been, but it always, it wasn't always just reserved for the Indians in the jungle, if you will. Right. So, right. Um, but back to your question, how do we how do we feel about stepping into these traditions that now in our day and age have been preserved through these indigenous cultures? And there's a lot of different thought and philosophy on that. And I'm sure that depending on who you talk to, there could be a slightly different um you know, answer and thought process around it. And one thing I do know and have seen, and this is broad brushstroke, okay? I'm not an anthropologist. I haven't dedicated years and years to this study. But what I can speak to and what I've seen is, you know, the wound in North America is is still pretty big. The wound of what happened with our indigenous people of this land and the colonization and the decimation and the genocide of their belief system and their culture, right? Not too long ago, very short distance down the timeline, this was going on, right? And, um, and the only thing they had was to preserve that. And they held it very close to the heart and very, very sacred. And they did not readily want to share it with anybody who wasn't indigenous, anybody who wasn't in their lineage. Which is and, understandable, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, in South America, in Peru, there was a similar thing that happened. And, you know, when the conquistadors came in and the Inquisition came in, 
a lot of the preservation of this wisdom and this knowledge went up to 15,000 feet up in the mountains and went deep into the jungles. And they were mostly interested in the gold, the mining. You mean the they meaning the Spanish? The, this, um, the Incan descendants. So the, um, the lineage holders down in South America, the, in Peru specifically. Were interested in the gold? Out. No, the conquistadors were interested. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was. Yeah. That's so the, so the Spanish wanted the money. They weren't yeah. they didn't care about what was going on in their not lineage. So, much. so they were like, "Go ahead and go. Head up the hill." Well, or we're not yes. going to go find you. And they didn't make a large pursuit of it, but the, you know, the inquisition, there was an inquisition office um in Cusco that has you know, was the longest standing office of inquisition for years and years and years. So somewhere along the way, you know, the the people in charge of um, the religion, if you will, Mm -hmm. were, they knew that there was something to what was happening. You know, there was something to their practices and they kept their office open. I mean, long after other offices of inquisition closed down around it was just so difficult to get to these people too. It was so difficult when they fled. Yeah. You know, it was hard to go chase them. Right. So they went right. up, high up into the mountains and they preserved this wisdom. They went deep into the jungles. They preserved this wisdom. Now here's where it's going to mix in with prophecy because the prophecy keepers told of a day when the eagles and the condors would fly together. They told of a day when the galactic serpent would move through, when the north and the south would come back into balance and back into harmony. And the prophecy keepers, the Incan prophecy keepers, held this wisdom and this knowledge. So they began in the 60s to come down off the mountains, and they began to come down and share this wisdom again. And they do share it readily because they understand that it is important for this wisdom and this body of knowledge and this way of living needs to come out. As many people as we can share this message with will be part of the ascension and the consciousness shift that we've been waiting for on the planet. So, so let me ask you a question in that, because, um, because we have all these different religions and now there's this big new way of, of engaging with the divine in the spiritual movement. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, it's been going on for a while, but it's like really taking hold. I see now a lot of people are just kind of done with their religion, but they still feel like they want to connect with God. So how then if, if you were to speak to someone who is maybe firmly rooted in their religion mm-hmm. and there's this wisdom that needs to be shared mm-hmm. from, from this shamanic mm-hmm. path, is, is there a pl- place for it to be? Can they live together? And if so, how can they live together? How can, can you be a practicing Catholic or a practicing Pentecostal or a practicing Mormon or whatever you are a practicing Jew or Buddhist and, and be like, you know, into shamanism. Absolutely, because it's not a religion. Okay, so. Right. Okay, so can yeah. you explain that? This, 
the shamanic path is a way of engaging the world. It's a way of coming back into a reanimated world. It's a way of entering back into the Garden of Eden. This is how my teacher speaks of it, how we are welcomed back into the garden. And really that we've never left the Garden of Eden. So how do we come back into an the idea that there isn't even a yeah. fallen state. How do we come back into an animated right. that way of living in the world where we know and we recognize and we remember that we are in communion with nature. We are in communion with the trees and the elements, that we are in communion mm. with the spirit world. The spirit world is not accessible mm. only to the anointed priest. The spirit world is accessible to all of us. We are all multidimensional beings who have the ability to live in an animated world where we have direct channel to source, to God, to the universe, to Yahweh, to, you know, all the different names. In, In the prayer that I use in my work, in my opening invocation, we talk about the unnameable one right? You who are the unnameable Mm -hmm. one. And so it's not a religion. It is not a practice that says, this is how you will come into communion with spirit. This is how you will be judged as a good person or a bad person. This is the only way. This is the only way. Right, right. It doesn't say that. There are many thousands, thousands and thousands of paths up the mountain. And you are in direct communication with God. You don't need to go through another authoritative source that is telling you how to be in communication with God. And amen to that. (laughs) Yes. Right. So if you are a practicing, whatever, Catholic, Mormon, Muslim, Jew, you know, you get to have all your teachings and practices. There is deep, deep mysticism in all of these religions that hold that same kind of magic that the shamanic world holds, right? This is that link. This is where we can look at all these religions and we can whittle down and get to the root of the mystical tradition in it and recognize that they are practicing earth medicine, that they are in Uh tune with the stars in the heavens. And, and so you can practice whatever religion you want. You can be held in those traditions. You can follow the scriptures and the teachings, and you can also you know, study the earth medicines and the shamanic path and work with energetics and recognize and learn how to travel into these different realms and have access to a a different level of information and wisdom. We had just finished this Be Your Own Healer series. Our last several episodes have been around the that topic and you you came and spoke about um energetics and and i just think this is really the the idea that i've taken away from from this training is that i really have all the tools within me i have all the i have everything i need to you know quote unquote heal myself and not that it's just me doing it but it's because i can connect to this other place in a way that is so powerful and so gives me so much clarity about this existence. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, to, to talk about perceptual states mm-hmm. 
I know that's been a big part of the training that I've gone through is understanding these perceptual states. So I, I want to talk about this, the skills and practices that a shamanic practitioner has. Mm-hmm. And then I, I'd love for you to to talk a little bit about perceptual states that in, in a way that could be helpful to our listeners. Okay. Great. Yeah. So high level, you know, the skills and practices that a shamanic practitioner has is the ability to see the entire multidimensional body, to listen to what the client, if you will, is sharing with you. When they come to see someone who works in the shamanic field, they oftentimes have exhausted all the other modalities, right? It's their Hail Mary pass. And or they have a strong, strong bent in the direction of working alternatively, right? So by the time somebody is sitting in my office, you know, they're, I'm listening to the story behind the words, I'm listening to the mythic story. I'm listening to the belief system that is held in the story that they're telling me. So the perceptual states are these different levels of engagement and hearing and seeing information. So we listen from a literal level. You know, what are they literally saying to me? And, and we're looking at how this is affecting their literal physical world possibly their literal physical body, okay? But it's that level. We also want to look at and hear information that is held in the mental emotional realm or where it's held in the mental emotional subtle energy body. That is something that we work with that we can see. It's tangible. Mm-hmm. We want to see how the information is held in their spirit body, the spiritual realm, the soul realm. What is the soul contract? What is the bigger soul's journey that is playing itself out here? And again, that is a subtle body that is accessible energetically. And we also want to hear from that level. And then looking at the energetic matrix and what is held or imprinted on the energetic matrix and how is it affecting the energetic body as a whole. I think of the, um, just the concept, if we're thinking of like Christianity, like of love one another or, or having compassion for your fellow man. And sometimes it's really hard to have the tools in which to do that when you're so reactive, you know, if, if something is such a trigger for you or if you're so upset. And I found that these perceptual states, I know for me over the last year that we've been doing this, that I, I find myself often if I'm speaking to someone and I see where they're at and if I have the presence of mind to Mm go, Oh wow, this is where they're speaking from. It gives me such greater compassion because I think it takes me out of the drama that's going on and Mm -hmm. I'm able to just experience what they're experiencing, have compassion on whatever level that they're, you know, whatever they're for, whatever they're going through, even if it has to do with me, you know? Absolutely. Hillary. And that, that is where it becomes, tangible, right? We talk or or I personally look at, you know, the skill sets, the practices that I teach in the work and that I use as a practitioner that I have learned. 
And really, at the end of the day, it's like, how how is this relative to my everyday life? How does this become a tangible right. tool that I can use at the grocery store, that I can use in a disagreement that I'm having with somebody who I love and care about, in a disagreement I'm having with my kids, right? And so right. what you're speaking to is that ability and that awareness to recognize that there are many different levels operating at the same time all the time. In the world of the multidimensional, in it, we hold many truths at the same time. It's a one big fat paradox, right? Because sometimes right. the simultaneous truth that we're holding can appear to conflict with each other. So what you're speaking to is that place of, you know, if I can listen from this other level, it allows the capacity to hold compassion. It allows the capacity to take a step back and not be so reactive. It allows us to really hear and see where that person sitting across from us is coming from. That doesn't mean we still have to agree. That doesn't mean right. that we won't hold our boundary or our line. But what it does do is changes the engagement and the energetics in which we are navigating that terrain. And it has been one of the tools that I use all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. Just the other day, my uh, dad was in town and I had a friend over and Micah, my partner, was home and his partner was here and we're all sitting in the living room. We're enjoying a glass of wine. We're chatting. And it turns to a topic where I get triggered and I'm upset and I am in full-blown non-agreement right. <laughs> with what's being said. And I'm angry. Like I can feel it inside. It's one of those like blood boiling moments, right? Yes. And in, Hashtag family time. Oh yeah. And <laughs> in that moment, I take a deep breath and I know it. I, I am so practiced at this that I can hear what he's saying and I fully get his point of view, like fully, fully understand it. And equally at the very same time, I am just off my rocker angry with the decision. And <laughs> I just sat there and I took a deep breath and I knew that there was no way in hell I could have that conversation with him without getting right on the triangle and without us both locking horns. I mean, we would have been right in the mental, emotional, duking it out arena. Right. And, mm -hmm. and so I took a deep breath and I nodded my head and I said, okay. And I actually, in this circumstance had to get up and leave the room. I, I had to go into the kitchen and finish making dinner <laughs> because I was like, yes. I can't have this conversation right now. And mm -hmm. the next morning I was able to come back around and pop it up to that soul level of engagement, right? The recognizing, like, what's the bigger story that's playing out here? What's the bigger... What, what is he mirroring for me? Yes. What is he mirroring? Can I hold a level of compassion and see his point of view? And we were able to have this really wonderful conversation and, you know, agree with what he was asking. And also, I could still share my feelings, 
right? And and just share like, wow, I you know, I get it, Dad, and I understand, and of course, I'm going to honor your wishes, and I absolutely support you in what you're doing. And you know, there's a part of it that the bottom line is it's just crappy timing, and it just really is you know challenging in my very human way. <laughs> and, and you're bringing your your history to uh-huh. it and you're bringing, you know, because I think with our parents and our siblings and our spouses, I mean, these are all the areas where we really get to work out all of our fun stuff Absolutely. because they're, these are the people that we love the uh-huh. most and that trigger yeah, us the most. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, there is a living example of like, wow, how do we use our perceptual states? How do we pop it to a, a different level and just so can you name the perception yeah, states? I can. Um, in, in our traditions, in the work that I do, um, we name them, I mean, I'll name them, but <laughs> this is... I guess this goes into the medicine wheel. If, you, if the, you'd yeah. rather explain the medicine wheel first, we can go into the medicine well, wheel. Would you rather? You know, I can talk about it from this this angle is that, you know, in this body of knowledge that I practice, that you are learning, the way we name these perceptual states states is um, the serpent level, which is the literal and physical, the jaguar level, which is the mental and emotional, the hummingbird level, which is the soul's journey level, and the eagle level, which is the pure energetics. And they are named as such because we also work with those archetypes in this path. And the serpent is bringing this awareness of what is happening on our everyday literal level, belly to belly with the earth, you know, um, jaguar the mental emotional it's looking at those the mental emotional body and how we have these imprints that affect our thinking and it affects our emotional state and jaguar helps us to also see into those shadow places she brings um order to chaos And the Mm -hmm. hummingbird, the soul level, we work with the archetype of hummingbird who helps us to see that bigger soul's journey. Hummingbird medicine teaches us how to look at our life from that mythic journey, from that soul's journey, that we're always evolving and that there's um, a divine orchestration in everything that is happening. And that eagle level, that high, Mm -hmm. high perspective, right? Eagle soars high above the drama of our life and what is happening and gives us a different snapshot of the orchestrations that are taking place. And it links us to that place of our essential, that everything is happening from that essential energetic vibration. This is when people say everything happens for a reason. And sometimes that really works for people. And sometimes that's like the most offensive thing you could ever say, right? Um, And that, that kind of speaks to perceptual states, right? Mm -hmm. So that if you're in, if you're in serpent and you've just experienced a real tragedy in your life and someone's coming at you and saying, well, everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I'm in serpent and I'm very literal and I'm in pain yeah, yeah, and I don't want to hear that. Not helpful. But if you can get the person in pain to get to where they can move up to Eagle whenever they're ready, I guess, then, then they can in, in, ingest the oneness and, and then, and then there can be that understanding, I guess. Is that, does that explain it? It does, you know, and, and it's a, um, 
the needle is always moving, you know, and you've heard me say this, that we always want to come from that place of compassion. And we always, you know, for me, I'm always looking for that bridge of how to sit with somebody and be of service. And it is not of service Mm -hmm. to say to the person who just experienced something really tragic and painful in their life, you know, oh, everything happens for a reason. That is just actually, it's cold, right? It's, it's, you're not being sensitive to what is happening. It's more about you than it is about them, right? It's like, what can I say to make myself feel good in this moment? rather than, right? It's, it's anti-empathy. And, and although it's true, (laughs) so this is where I'm saying the multidimensional aspect, we hold the paradox. We hold many truths simultaneously that seem to be in direct conflict (laughs) with each other. Right. So although my belief system and what I know to be true in the way that I've journeyed my life is to recognize and I know that everything does happen for a reason, right? Even those most challenging things that are, it's so hard to wrap your head around in the time, in the moment. But, you know, you give it enough space, you allow yourself to move through what I call the very human experience. And there's an opportunity to see the divine orchestration. But that may not ever ever, ever come in and be the, the anesthesia for the pain, right? Right. We may still always have grief and pain around that very tragic event that happened, but Mm -hmm. we can recognize that there's a bigger orchestration taking place. So all things are held true. And the skill of being able to navigate these perceptual states is recognizing where we need to hold somebody, mm. right? And, and so when I'm working with somebody who is in a lot of pain, and I see it often in my practice, you know, um, right. I hold that person always in that place of their soul's journey, knowing that what they're going through is part of their soul's journey. And I hold them there energetically, Mm. but I meet them where they are. I meet them with my words. I meet them with my conversation in the place of where they are. That's really beautiful. Always holding them Mm. in that place of the soul's journey. That's really good wisdom. And it changes the availability for them to access different states of being. It allows for them to move maybe just a half inch up out of their pain. Right. But Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a dance that we do all the time because if I just come in and throw soul's journey at them, I lost them. Right. Right. Well, Hey, guess what? So you lost your child or you lost your spouse or something. Well, guess what? This is your soul's journey. And everyone's like, Bye. Yeah. What are you learning <laughs> See ya. from this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? How do you think your soul is growing? You know, yeah. like you are going to get the big right. capital F you out of that. Right. 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 I mean, you can't, you sure. can't hear it. You can't hear right. It. Right. Wow. That's really, that's a really beautiful way of putting it, that holding someone energetically at their soul's journey. Cause I think people can feel that. I mean, you, you know, I've, I feel like I've met several people where you just, 
you walk into their energy and their energy is wonderful. And you're Mm -hmm. like, I just want to be around you or they bring you up, Mm -hmm. they elevate you. Right. And so like you say, you can energetically hold them higher and still meet them with compassion wherever they are in their pain. Yes. Um, so, so how did you become a shaman? Would you, (laughs) would you go on to tell us a little bit about your path to becoming a shaman and what makes a shaman a shaman? I know you'd mentioned that there's, that you receive different rites and rituals Mm -hmm. and some of which that you've passed to me Mm -hmm. in my training. Mm -hmm. So I'm aware of this, but could you explain to our listeners just a little bit about your journey Mm -hmm. and what makes you a shaman? Yeah. So my journey you know, I'm going to give you the cliff notes version of what led me in, but it's relative, right? So as a young child, I was aware of my ability to see into different realms and to be sensitive to energy, although I don't know that I would have really called it that, you know, but I, as a young one, would um, practice in like first, second grade practice, you know, thinking what the teacher would say before they said it, right? So I was already like, oh, I'm going to read into the future. You know, that's kind of was one of my little things that I would do in school. And as I grew up, I was kind of aware of that stuff. And I, and I always played that game actually with myself. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And then coming into around 12, I think I had my first like really huge metaphysical crisis. And I remember sitting on the front steps of my house and thinking like, Oh, my God, my parents are wonderful. And they keep me safe. But they're just human. And they cannot protect me from the cosmic world and all that lives in the universe. Like I need to know how to be able to work with the cosmic elements, right? And and I it was a really huge that's At 12, I love that. <laughs> Having this <laughs> like breakdown on my front steps of recognizing that there's only so much the human capacity has without being trained right in these other realms and Mm -hmm. you know that was not fleeting necessarily but I didn't I didn't end up having this very anxious anxiety ridden teenager phase of my life I kind of just got it right and I was like whoa there's a whole vast thing going on out there and I would do well to understand more of it and And then into my high school years, I started seeing auras and I was like, whoa, that's kind of wild. And then when I was 18, I did some Reiki training, Reiki, another lineage, right? So in the world of like all these different living traditions and lineages, Reiki is an energetic healing modality um, that has its own lineage and its own symbols and initiations that you work with to come into that living tradition, where again, what are initiations? They're energetic quantas of energy that come in that hold a body of wisdom that allow you to access mm-hmm. this other consciousness of information and wisdom and realms. So Reiki. So I was initiated into Reiki. Well, that blew my psychic doors wide open. Everything got turned on. 
And it was almost immediate, mm-hmm. Hillary, that after I went through those initiations, that I started seeing and hearing and being subject to what I will call astral travel. And so I, at the age of 18, 19 years old, um, went through a phase where everything got turned on. And it wasn't fun that, you know, that's not something that was Right. It's scary. It's got to be kind of scary when you're that age and you're like, what is going on? Scary. Um, You know, I grew up in a really traditional East Coast middle class family, really open minded parents, um, super supportive of all things. But this is not the world they lived in. You know, we weren't Mm -hmm. talking about clairaudience and clairvoyance. And Mm -hmm. although it was peppered into my upbringing, however, but it wasn't the norm, if you will. So when this stuff started happening, I was like, oh, my God, what is going on? Like, I didn't even know that some of these things that were happening to me even could happen, right? So all of a sudden I'm hearing things and I'm- And you're thinking, am I crazy? Are people going to think I'm weird? Mm -hmm. And what is happening to me and I don't like it. That, that was my experience of it. So, you know, I talked to my mom, she talked to a friend who found this woman who was uh, clairvoyant, who I went and saw several times, and she really helped me to begin to understand the energetic realm, and that there's all these different ways and channels that we receive information. And some of it is through audio through hearing some of it is through seeing through your clairvoyance, um, kinesthetic, you know, a lot of people feel it, they just know. It's that sixth sense, mm-hmm. right? So I started to understand right. it and started to get a grasp on it and started to, you know, mildly be able to have an effect on what was happening. And so I kind of just rolled with that for a while and went to, you know, I did training as a massage therapist and I was so lucky to find this school in Missoula, Montana that had a really strong focus on the esoteric and the energetics as well as the anatomy and the physical and, you know, the, the body, the physiology and all those massage elements. And, um, Mm -hmm started my studies there, started really diving into the energy body and the chakra system and understanding um, astral travel and understanding journeying and understanding psychic seeing and, you know, honing my skills of seeing energy and being sensitive to energy. And so, you know, I had this wonderful playground, if you will, to really start to hone those skills. But I came out of my training and you know, so here I am, I'm really intuitive and I'm getting all this information. And as a massage therapist, I would work on people and I would balance their chakras and I would get all this information that would come up, (laughs) like massive amounts of stuff that all of a sudden I would just have access to, but I did not know what to do with it. I did not know how to allow for the information I was receiving to be helpful to the person I was working with. Right. So if all this information came up of like, wow, it looks like you had a really challenging childhood and there's some trauma stuck in your body and you have all this stagnant energy in your womb and good luck. I hope you really can find a way to work that out. You know, like that is not helpful. (laughs) So I was like, wow, this is not um, a skill set that really is sustainable. You know, so I in the world of divine orchestration, moved to Utah, met some wonderful people. And one of them was going through this training, this shamanic training. 
with an organization called the Four Winds Society. And they had asked me to come in and do massage work for a healing intensive that they were putting together. So I took some time off. I blocked out these seven days and I was totally available. And, you know, I had never really heard of shamanism, just on the fringe, you know, I had somebody say to me once, like, you might do really good in the shamanic realms and soul retrieval. And I was, I mean, I was like, okay, you know, like I heard the information, but I didn't know what that meant. At that point, my studies were very rooted in chakras and the aura and reading energy from those capacities. And so here, here's the Four Winds organization. I take time out and I am ready to go be on-call massage therapist. And for whatever reason, I can't remember the details, that program ends up not happening, but they had a class happening at this same week that here I had cleared my whole schedule, right? And So it just felt like divine intervention. It was divine intervention. And the woman who had hired me to do the massage work, she said, you know what? I'm really sorry this happened. Why don't you come in and take this class? So I stumble in there, Hillary, knowing nothing about <laughs> shamanism, right? I walk in unprepared, really. I mean, prepared with my materials of what I need, but unprepared for like, what am I getting into? Hadn't read one book, hadn't investigated the organization to any further degree than um, like, yeah, I'll come do a massage for your healing intensive. And there I am sitting in class. And within the first three days, I thought to myself, oh my God, this is what I've been waiting for. I have been waiting for wow. a skill set, a practice that helps me take my natural ability, which we all have, by the way, okay, I'm not unique. Um, we all have this ability, but to take this natural ability that's been happening with me my whole life that I've been aware of, and actually let it be relative, actually let it be helpful, actually let it be a healing modality that is of service to people. Mm -hmm. And so I came into it really excited to learn the practices and the skill sets and to be trained as a practitioner. And that all happened. But what also happened is I realized it wasn't just a skill set in a practice, but it became how I live my life. It became how I engage the world. It became the work and the living body of wisdom in which I have really come into full alignment with. And it's how I walk in the world. You know, my inside and my outside of what I do are one. Before we part, we'd like to say thanks for listening. And we hope you'll connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We would love to hear from you and appreciate all feedback, shares, and likes. To learn more and subscribe to our newsletter, visit intentionists.com. And no matter where you are or what you're creating, we send you love and invite you to breathe and begin. See you next week.